Hola mi gente. The moment you've been waiting for is finally here. My brand new book, Financially Lit, is officially out. And I can't wait for you to get your copy. Inside this book, I'm bringing you culturally relevant and relatable personal finance advice that will allow you to finally feel seen, heard, and understood. Whether it's the guilt you feel from being the first person to make it while members of your family are still struggling, or the way that financial trauma manifests itself in negative and limiting beliefs around money, Financially Lit is here to guide you through it all. Just a few years ago, it was almost impossible to find personal finance books written for first-generation wealth-building Latinas. We have been forced to navigate the complicated world of money with a bunch of money books written by old white dudes who don't understand what it's like for us first-gen kids. But that stops right here, right now. Inside Financially Lit, you will learn how to set boundaries with your familia, with your dinero, create and pass on generational wealth, diversify and increase your income, protect yourself from financial abuse, navigate the complicated relationship between amor and dinero, invest like a white dude or better, and so much more. You can get your hard copy and audiobook version of Financially Lit at financiallylitbook.com and make sure to join our email list so you can find out when I'm stopping in a city near you for the Financially Lit book tour. See you soon. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I think as overwhelming or as intimidating as a process it can be, it can be life-changing in the grand scheme of things. I mean, having that extra income to pay down my debt quicker It wasn't until years after I paid down my debt that I really understood the value of checking that off my list. It's because I paid down my debt and I didn't pay that money in interest that I was able to buy my first home. You know, that home is now a rental property. There are things that happen in sort of the spectrum of your financial future that you might not necessarily be able to predict, but being able to increase your income is so crucial to that process. And whether that's starting a side hustle or salary negotiation or what have you, all of those play into that bucket, right? But for me, preparing myself for that conversation and every year going into that annual review, pushing for whatever I could get, worst case scenario is it's going to be no. And I did get a no a few times, but I got a lot of yeses also. And I think it's sort of wild, especially in the beginning to come out of those conversations being like, wow, all I really had to do was show up and ask. And no one's going to be a better advocate for yourself. You're listening to Yo Quiero Dinero, a personal finance podcast for the modern Latina. I'm your host, Janice Torres, award-winning Latina personal finance expert. I didn't always have my financial shit together, but when I started looking for POC-friendly personal finance podcasts, I couldn't find any. And so Yo Quiero Dinero was born. On this show, I'll show you how to make dinero, how to keep your dinero, and most importantly, how to make it grow. Each week, I'm connecting you with the most brilliant minds in the world of money and business, so you can learn about investing, entrepreneurship, and building wealth. The best part? I'm dishing up all this knowledge with a sassy side of sazón. So if you're ready to be poderosa with your dinero, you've come to the right place. Let's dive in. 
Before we hop into today's conversation, I want to remind you to follow us on social. If you're loving this podcast and you want more community, you want to find out more about our events and all the stuff that we have going on behind the scenes, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and everywhere else you love to hang out on the internet. If you're loving this podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review if you listen to us on Apple. It's the easiest way to share our podcast with people that you know and love, and it helps us get discovered by amazing listeners like you. So take a moment, leave us a review, share us with your friends and family, subscribe so that you never miss an episode, and make sure to check out our blog, YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com, where you can sign up for our email list and you'll never miss an episode. Plus, you get exclusive invitations to our live events, special discounts for our digital courses, and as always, our best personal finance tips and advice to help you be poderosa with your dinero. Thanks for listening. Now, let's get into the episode. Kimberly, thank you so much for being here. I love using the power of this platform to elevate voices in our community that are helping us learn about dinero, and that's exactly what you're doing. So please go ahead and start us off with an introduction of tell us who you are and what you do. Absolutely. And thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. My name's Kimberly. I'm the founder of Be Worth Finance, where I help women make smart money moves, mostly through online coaching and courses. I'm also recently wrote Building Wealth on a Dime, which is my first book to come out. Very excited to get there out into the world and into the Latino community as well. It's a book that's intended to be super relatable, where readers will learn how to tackle debt and build wealth through the budgets and stories of five other moneymakers. One is the story of myself and my debt pay down story from my early 20s. But there's also some Latina characters in there and figures that I hope others can relate to as well. So excited to be here and share that with you all. I absolutely love that. And I would love to know first and foremost, was this always a part of your plan? Like, did you always have a plan to be out here teaching mujeres about money or like, what's the origin story? Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) I think, you know, I think it's interesting being in the similar circle you are, how many people get into the personal finance teaching coaching industry after overcoming their own financial struggles. And that was certainly the case with myself as well. You know, in my early 20s, I really struggled with a lot of financial anxiety. Uh, I was the first on my mother's side to go to school and dealing with student debt was really difficult for me, sort of figuring out how to make it on my own in my early 20s. And DC, one of the most expensive cities in America, still is. And that wasn't an easy process for me. I I didn't go to school learning about finance. So no, I had no plan earlier in my life to write a book teaching others about how they can improve their relationship with money, invest to build wealth. But it's funny the things that will come your way over the course of your life. And so when I started Be Worth Finance, my company in 2019, I was still working full-time in international development. That's what I actually went to school for. I had a background in economics, which is helpful. But I worked in that field up until recently for, for almost a decade. And so that's what I originally went to school for when I started Be Worth Finance after overcoming my student debt and thought, wow, there's really a need to have more relatable financial information out there, not just for the Latina community, but for women in general is, is sort of a, a gap I really felt on my own financial journey. And in starting Be Worth Finance, I was too hesitant. I was too shy. I wasn't confident enough to share my own story. So I thought, I'll start this company. I'll have online courses. One, I don't need to be 
present for those all the time, which does have its benefits, right? I know you teach a lot of your following about creating these entrepreneurial streams of income that they don't have to be physically present for all the time. But for me, it wasn't coming from a point of convenience. It was coming from a point of I was too shy to share my own financial story. And so I started with online courses, even though I did really want to write a book. But I thought, What's my full-time job going to think about that? How am I going to promote the book? I didn't have a publisher. You know, there were so many reasons I gave myself to not step into that. And so I led with the courses three years later, and I'm sure we'll get into that. Publisher actually came my way about the book, and I said, you know what? I'm ready now. I had been telling my story at that point for years, and the start sort of aligned, and the opportunity came my way. It's amazing what happens when you start putting yourself out there. And that's the thing that I think a lot of people don't get. That's the hardest part is just starting to show up for yourself and, you know, opening yourself up to judgment and criticism and like, oh my God, what's my job going to say? Or what's my family going to say? Did you have any hesitations about putting your business out there? Did you wonder like, oh my God, what is my family going to say? Because I think a lot of Latino families are kind of like, why are you putting your business out there on the internet? Yeah. To these strangers. <laughs> it's funny. My family's always been very supportive, but I do think all of us can learn more about money at any given time. That's not unique to a particular community, I don't think. But there are members of my family that I was also thinking I would really love to help them on this front. They could really use this advice as I'm learning more. I want to be able to pass that on to them. And it's been interesting, despite their support, some still shy away from speaking to me directly about that. But all I can do is share my story and educational content that I provide. And it's interesting, the younger generation, I have a lot of younger cousins in their late teens and 20s. They're all about it. They're like, I want your book. Tell me how to build wealth. They're in school. So they're thinking about student loans and things like that. And so that's super exciting to see. Yeah, that's how the change happens, one person at a time. So I love that. Okay, let's talk about your money story. What are some of the biggest lessons that you learned about money, either positive or negative, as you were growing up? Yeah, so I think growing up, I was fortunate in that I think most of the learnings I had about money were positive. I didn't grow up in a household where there weren't fights about money or anything like that. So I'm always very grateful for that. What I learned from my parents is where each of them brought their own sort of advice to the table. My mother was one. She, she's the really savvy one, right? Like I was never allowed to shop at a mall. We were always going to like thrift stores or TJ Maxx. She's a Maxinista. So am I to this day, not hating on it at all, but we always looked great. No one could tell. But as an adult, I can realize I remember getting in an argument with her because I wasn't allowed to shop at these stores at the mall because why spend more when you could spend less? My dad was the more entrepreneurial one. So he had a small business and in his mind and still to this day, it's always be the hardest person, working person in the room, first one in, last one out. And I think that's been the most interesting shift for me because while those hardworking values have obviously paid off in many areas of my life, I've learned to use time in a different way to my benefit when it comes to saving and investing and building wealth. Time can work in a totally different way where it's not this one-to-one -one relationship. I actually do still have a nine-to-five in addition to be worth. I'm fortunate enough to enjoy both of those professions, both are in the personal finance field, but there is a day where I plan to stop working a lot earlier because I don't want that one-to-one -one time to be what my life is about. I want to save and invest to be able to spend my money and do things that I enjoy. 
Absolutely. Time is the real currency, y'all. And I think once I understood that concept and I'm just like, I can either use money to buy back my time or I can just continue to waste the time that I'm using to earn this money and just keep, stay on this treadmill where I think a lot of us have been conditioned to believe that retirement is a specific age or whatnot. And it's just like being introduced to the concepts of financial independence and wealth building. It's like, whoa, it's like you have unlocked the matrix. Absolutely. And and the fact that retirement's an, a number, but it but it's not an age, it's a dollar amount. It's a certain level of, of savings or investments that you grow that you're able to live the life that you want. And that's going to look different for everybody, right? It's not, we're all retiring at the same age to go, I don't know, move down to Florida and like an old person's <laughs> condo community. That's not <laughs> what I'm about. <laughs> yes, I agree. I'm like, I don't know what retirement means to some people, but for me, It's just having the ability to decide how you spend your time. If you want to have a side hustle that you work like 10 hours a week and it brings you joy, if you want to go and spend six months in an island somewhere and write a book, if you want to learn a new language, like it's just the freedom to do whatever the hell you want. Okay, so let's talk about your debt story because that's the origin of Be Worth Finance in general. So tell us how much debt did you have? Where did it come from? And then let's talk through the process that you used to actually pay it off. My first experience with debt going through college, I had a combination of family support and scholarships. So I didn't have any debt from undergrad, which is amazing. I did have debt from grad school. That was sort of like, if you want to pursue that, that's on you. And I did in in international development, which was my field prior to personal finance, you really need a master's degree to do a lot of that work. So that was important to me. And I decided to go to the school where I thought the program was the best, but it also happened to be very expensive. Uh, The new school, great program, pretty pricey, private grad school in New York. And so when I moved to DC immediately after graduating, it was sort of like, I didn't know what I was signing up for. And I think that's lots of people's experience with student debt and credit cards for that matter, that you're doing what you have to do. You're doing what you have to do to get to the next step in a lot of cases. And I assumed I would just figure it out. And I did, but I underestimated the emotional toll that that would take. I think a lot of people grow up and think they have to follow this particular path in life. I'm going to go to school. I'm going to get this high paying job. I'm going to find my partner, get married, have kids, whatever. And when that doesn't work out as planned, that can be jarring to a lot of people. I went to school, did that part great, but getting out The salary I was making was less than the amount of student loans that I had. So I graduated with $45,000 in student debt, which isn't terrible in the grand scheme of things. People were dealing with a lot more student loan debt than that. But to me personally, because everyone's financial journey is different, that was really suffocating knowing that my salary, what I would make in an entire year, couldn't pay that off. And it wasn't like I was out here living my best life and going out and throwing my money all over the place. I had three roommates for five years. I was taking public transportation. I was meal planning. I was doing like everything I could. And it was still pretty difficult for me to wrap my head around. I'm going to be paying this for 10 years. How am I supposed to do all these other things that I want to do in my life? How am I supposed to save up for a home? How am I supposed to be able to afford to raise a family if this is always in the back burner. And so I took some time once my grace period ended to really understand and learn more about how compound interest worked. And that's when it started like clicking for me, like, oh, if I could pay this down faster, then I'll save myself almost $20,000 in interest. 
almost half the amount that I originally took out. And I was like, what? You're like, you got to be kidding me. So I started taking on extra jobs when I could in addition to my nine to five. Salary negotiation was played a huge role there and being able to level my income at that time to pay down those loans quicker. And ultimately, through that, I was actually able to pay down my debt in a little over three years. But it didn't happen overnight. And it took a lot of work to do. But I think the first part of that was really the educational piece that no one's really taught of how that interest is going to grow over time and how that pay down schedule actually works is set that light bulb off for me. Can you walk us through that process? Because I think a lot of people just definitely don't understand how you could end up in a situation where you're paying half of the total amount of money that you took out in interest. So can you give us like a breakdown of how interest works essentially? Sure. Yeah. And there are different types of loans, particularly when it comes to student loans. So whether they're public federal loans or private loans, whether they're subsidized or not, where the government may be paying a portion of that interest while you're in school, I'll skip all those nuances and just skip to the part where you're entering repayment, right? Your grace period ends. And essentially, even though your payment, if you're on a, let's say, if you have federal loans and you're in a standard 10-year repayment plan, it's going to look like your payment is the same every month for all of those 10 years. But a portion of that payment, mine was $503.93. It's like ingrained into my brain. And I was taking home 2000 something a month when I encountered rent and everything. There wasn't a whole lot to play around with that. But even though your payment looks the same, a portion of that payment is going to the principal balance, which is the part that you actually took out that loan that you signed up for or that personal loan that you signed up for. But a a big portion of that's actually going towards interest. And you have to pay down whatever interest is accruing first before you touch the principal. And so what that means is early on in that 10-year example, for the first few years, the vast majority of the money you're paying is actually going towards interest, not what you actually owed. And so if you can make extra payments, then you get to chop down that principal balance faster. And so that's what I did. I used what's called the avalanche method, where you're taking your debts and you're ordering them based on the highest interest rate to the lowest interest rate that's going to save you the most money over time. And any extra money I had, I was just throwing it at that. But you want to make sure that that's applied to the principal balance and not a future payment, which also happens to people sometimes. So is there a way to basically ask your loan servicer to apply the extra money that you're paying towards your principal? How would you go about it? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I think now, because so much of more banking and loan repayment is online, it should be pretty clear, but it's better to double check than have that paid toward a future payment in the future. So I would just call up your student loan servicing provider to double check that that is being applied to the principal and not like your next month's payment, for example. That's exactly what I was doing too. I started side hustling to pay off my student loan debt because it began to represent me having to stay in a corporate job. 
I'm like, the sooner that I get rid of this, the sooner I can go and do something with my life that doesn't revolve around just like a nine to five, eight hour day, doing something that I really wasn't passionate about anymore. And so I think when I was first taking out the loans, I was of the mentality that a lot of people are that it's just like, well, this is just a reality of life. We just take out loans and we're going to pay them back for the rest of our lives and whatever. And I was doing the minimum payment. And it wasn't until I was introduced to the concept of financial independence that I'm like, you know, debt freedom is the first level of being able to opt out. And so I think making that switch too to understand that, yeah, you can just stick with the debt forever or you can be proactive about it and say, this is something that I'm going to actively work to get rid of so that I have more options. Yeah. And that's really interesting once you start learning more about it, actually, because it can be used as a tool to do other things in your life that you really do want to do. I think the part where it gets frustrating is if you're not informed about it or you don't understand how it works. You know, really wealthy people are using loans, various debt products as tools all the time to live their life or people have very different feelings about getting a mortgage than they do student loans and credit cards, but you really just want to be informed about what you're getting into so so you could feel like you're in control of your financial future. Absolutely. So I want to ask you more about something that you mentioned that you used as a strategy for paying off your debt, which was salary negotiation. That's a huge thing, right? Job hopping, advocating for yourself when it comes to salary. I think it's something that also helped me a lot to increase my income while I was still in corporate. And I'm curious, did you job hop? Like, did you go to different employers or did you just stick with the same one and you were trying to move up that ladder? I did not. I'm one of the rare and the few, I think. I was with the same small business for almost a decade, which is really unusual, I think, for millennials and people our age. I did negotiate every single year. So some people are like, oh, you have to wait for a specific time. You know, it can be a really intimidating process. And I hated it. It's not like I don't want people to think I walked in there and I was like, you know, this ain't no thing. I'm like super confident. I prepared as much as I could. Most of the time I did start low, like I said, and I still think this is the case that in the industry I was in, $40,000 with the master's degree was low. So I had room to bump myself up there or to at least make the plea to my manager to bump me up. But I think as overwhelming or as intimidating as a process it can be, it can be life-changing in the grand scheme of things. I mean, having that extra income to pay down my debt quicker It wasn't until years after I paid down my debt that I really understood the value of checking that off my list. It's because I paid down my debt and I didn't pay that money in interest that I was able to buy my first home. You know, that home is now a rental property. There are things that happen in sort of the spectrum of your financial future that you might not necessarily be able to predict, but being able to increase your income is so crucial to that process. And whether that's starting a side hustle or salary negotiation or what have you, all of those play into that bucket, right? But for me, preparing myself for that conversation and every year going into that annual review, pushing for whatever I could get, worst case scenario is it's going to be no. And I did get a no a few times, but I got a lot of yeses also. And I think it's sort of wild, especially in the beginning to come out of those conversations being like, wow, all I really had to do was show up and ask. And no one's going to be a better advocate for yourself. I don't care if it's your best friend at work. I don't care if you're working with family. And so the boss is also a family member. No one's going to be a better advocate than you. That reminds me of a phrase my dad always told me growing up. He always says, the squeaky wheel gets oiled. 
And it's just like, sometimes you got to make noise because that's yeah. the one that gets paid attention to, right? And so I try to always remember that when I'm scared about asking for something, it's just like, look, nobody's going to know what you need unless you decide to tell them what you need. So you are basically on track to be work optional by 45, which is incredible. So I'd love for you to tell us how that journey has gone, what you've done to actually make that possible. And how old are you right now? I am 35. Girl, you look amazing. Okay. So you are 10 years away potentially from work optionality. And that is like hashtag goals for so many people. Please tell us what you're doing to make that a reality. Yeah. And I talk about it in my book also. I think in my book, Building Wealth on a Dime, which I'm I'm sure we'll get to in a bit, I talk about these $6 million habits. And what they are is there are certain habits that I've adopted that I think have really influenced my wealth building journey more than any amount of debt I've ever made or any salary I've ever made, really adopting these traits. And one of them is starting small, but dreaming big. It's the first million dollar habit in the book. And I hope it comes through strongly because a lot of people are going to feel like they're making baby steps earlier in their financial journey. Like I wasn't always, when I was paying down my debt, at first it was just an extra 50 bucks here, or 100 bucks there. My financial position in my early 20s is very different from where I'm at now. So to answer your question, after I paid down my debt, I lived in that house with roommates for, for three roommates for five years, but I decided that I was going to do that because I wanted to own a place of my own. So I bought a condo in DC immediately after that. So there was no in between. I tend to do things sort of full tilt. So I went from living with three roommates to buying a condo of my own. Now I live with a partner. So turn that into a rental property. That's an additional source of income there. And I've invested heavily for the past, you know, I really didn't get into it that much until probably after I bought my condo. So that was probably around 2017, 2018. It's around the same time I also started learning about the financial independence retire early movement. And for me, it was just like, oh, shit, that's possible. Like I had no idea. No one in my friends, no one in my family has really talked about money in general, let alone the fact that like, oh, you don't have to work till you're 65. And I thought, well, this is amazing. Like, I didn't have any debt anymore. So it's like sort of up to me, right? I could spend all this money I'm making, or I could invest it and have it work harder for me. Uh, So I've kept up with pretty aggressive investment goals since then. I'm a big proponent of Yes, treat yourself, but I've tried to keep lifestyle inflation at a minimum. So lifestyle inflation is as you make more, people also tend to spend more. So I've tried to be reasonable with myself in that. Spend a little more on some things, but keep everything else at a base level so I can maintain these investment goals so I can become work optional. And I mentioned I still have a nine to five as well. That's a big piece of that for me. Um, You know, I love the work I do with Be Worth Finance. And there's some very active work I do there with my private coaching, but there's some passive income there through my online courses as well. And now hopefully my book, my nine to five, I also work in personal finance with a personal finance app called Rocket Money, formerly Truebill. So you might've heard of them for canceling subscriptions and things like that. And I also work in financial education with them. So I'm able to basically just talk and educate people about money all the time across what I'm doing. But Both of those combined enable me to hit some pretty aggressive investment goals. Most of my portfolio is in low-cost index funds, and I'm on track. So I do think, you know, my partner thinks very differently than I do. He doesn't see himself retiring early. He probably could, but it's not really a strong goal of his. So that's interesting, and that's something new 
that we're sort of talking through together it might be and knowing myself like people are like oh yeah you're just gonna like retire at four like you're gonna be done like with your book and your nine to five and your side hustle and your coaching like you're just gonna like stop working and I'm like yeah you're probably right so it'll probably be more of like a coast fire scenario but I just love the idea of that decision will be mine to make at that point absolutely I love that so do you have plans to still live in the U.S. or do you plan to leave the United States? Because I know a lot of folks, when they're considering what post-fire life looks like, you know, America's not great from a fire perspective, especially when it comes to healthcare. So I'm wondering what you're thinking there. Yeah, I think right now we would probably plan on staying. And I think part of that comes with compromise from my partner as well. We did take a vacation to Portugal last year and... I'm obsessed. So I don't know if it, I don't know if we could work out like a part time scenario. We're both pretty family orientated. And so I think right now the idea of staying in the US makes sense for us. To your point, it would probably be able to reach that number quicker if I was prepared to move out of the United States. But you have to do what feels right to you. Absolutely. Okay. So let's talk about your book. I think it's super rare still for Latinas to be authors in general, but especially about personal finance. I know you mentioned that because you put yourself out there, you're building this brand, you got reached out to by a publisher. Take us kind of behind the scenes of what that process looked like for you. Sure. So when I started Be Worth in 2019, originally I was shy about sharing my story. That lasted all of like four months. I got over it real quick because I realized people don't want to talk to just a company. They don't care about the name. They want to know the story. They want to know the challenges. They want to know what's the real deal behind how someone got to where they are. And so I started sharing my story pretty quickly after that. And so I was just extremely fortunate. I'll never forget it because again, it was like very full circle, the idea that I originally wanted to write a book when I started Be Worth, but was too shy or scared or whatever to do it. The fact that three years later, I literally got an email in my inbox that said like book proposal. And I called my boyfriend. I was like, I don't even know if this is real. Like they want to have a call. I don't know if this is real. Because I was so like hyped up about the idea. And it was and I shared my story. I, I can't remember if they found me through social media or maybe an article I was mentioned in. But they said, you have an amazing story. We really trying to get more Latina authors on, on this subject. And we'd love to have you write the book. Like, when can you do it? And me, I have no experience writing a book. I have no publishing background. I'm like, oh, like a year sounds great. It was terrible. It was terrible. Like on top of a nine to five job and all this, a year was too soon. I don't know what your what your timeline looks like. Yeah, but no, it's definitely not a year, girl. You, you it, were ambitious. <laughs> it was rough. But now that it's done, it's really interesting going through the process. The book turned out a lot different than the original outline that I wrote. The publishing company made it clear that your story is great, but this isn't like a memoir. We don't want this to just be about your story. We want it to be something people are going to relate to. And I just thought, well, I really want to make it about people then. Like I want it to be an actual book with like storylines and characters and budgets and not just the finances, but what are the relationships these people are sort of navigating? What are the emotions that they're going through? Because when people do talk about money, it's never like, oh, compound interest this and this debt pay down schedule. And no one's out here talking about like their investments on the day to day. You're talking about like, how can I go on vacation with my family? How can I pay for childcare? 
How can I afford to just go out and have a good time with my friends while I'm like saddled with this debt because I ran up a credit card or whatever? Like those are the things that people are actually going through. And so that's what the book became about. And it was also a way for me, you know, I've always been education for the masses. I haven't necessarily always focused on the Latina community, which is a cause that's near and dear to my heart as a Latina myself. That's uh, my mother's side. But I thought, oh, this is my chance to really dive into that as well. So not just my story, but the story of Tanya in the book, who's from Chicago, is a first generation American Latina from the Dominican Republic and sort of the struggle she's going through and how she overcomes those to see if she can reach her fire number and build wealth and pass that on generationally. So it was really my chance to like dive deep into these sort of emotional plays and nuances that people deal with in everyday life. Yeah. Money is super emotional. And that's the thing, you know, I've done so much work on mindset and now I help my clients with the same. And I think time and time again, that's the thing that stops us more than anything, right? It's like, you have to first believe that you are worthy of building wealth before you can actually start taking steps to create that, right? And so I'm curious, what's the biggest thing you've learned about yourself in this process? In the process of writing the book or like my whole financial journey? Just your financial journey in general. I think you sort of hit the nail on the head there. Like the possibilities, the opportunities are there to be taken advantage of, but you have to know what they are first. (laughs) And I didn't know how easy it could be to invest. Because when you grow up and you watch movies and you hear anyone talk about it, it's always like these rich white guys. And that is not my experience. (laughs) And so like really learning how easy and possible that is to do. And that's not linked to the amount of money you make necessarily. Yes, there are very real barriers that a lot of people don't have the spare income to invest. I'm not disregarding that. But there are also things like advancements in technology have made it incredibly easy for us to invest through online platforms, through an app in your phone to keep track of all of those things that the onus is really on all of us to learn as much as we can. And then as you are able to take advantage of those opportunities, that's when you do that. So much of what I learned when it comes to personal finance, I learned years before I could actually do it because I didn't have the income because I was paying down my debt because I had a, a dental surgery that popped up out of nowhere that I needed to pay for. Like there are things that you might not be able to put everything into action as soon as you want, but that doesn't mean you can't get there eventually. And it all starts with foundational learning, right? So reading books like yours, building wealth on a dime. Tell us where we can get a copy and also tell us where folks can find you on the internet, be able to work with you, sign up for your programs and all that. Sure. Yeah. Building wealth on a dime. So excited to finally have it out there in the universe. It's available everywhere, you guys. It's on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target. If you want to order it through your local bookstore, if you prefer shopping smaller independent bookstores, you can likely do that directly through them. Or there's a link on my website, beworthfinance.com, where you can find all the places it's available. If you click IndieBound, that's where you'll be able to find a local bookstore near you. As far as other services that I offer, I offer private coaching. I'm working with a cohort right now, so I usually only do that once a year, but there's a wait list if you feel like you want that one-on-one attention. I also offer online courses and workshops that you could find on my site as well. So that's beworthfinance.com. I like what you said earlier, Janice, about feeling worthy. That's actually where the name for Be Worth Finance came about. And so beworthfinance.com, you can find all my services there. 
And I'd love for people to follow me on Instagram. I'm all over the social media platforms, but that's my favorite one. So you could find me at Be Worth Finance there as well. I love it. And we'll make sure to link all of those resources in the episode show notes. So make sure you guys check out the description and please get a copy of Kimberly's book, Building Wealth on a Dime. We need to support Latina authors in all spaces, but especially in these money conversations, because these are tools that other communities have been using for generations in order to build wealth. And there is no reason why we cannot do the exact same thing. So on behalf of my community, Kimberly, I just want to say thank you for showing up and for serving our community, because we need so many more people who step up to the plate and say, I'm not just going to hoard all this information that I have acquired for myself. I'm going to share it because that's when real change starts to happen. Thank you. Absolutely. And and I hope your audience gets a chance to check out the book and I hope it ends up in libraries as well. Something I think about the fact that we have the ability through your podcast. Also, there are free resources out there that people can use to learn more about money. So thank you for having me on the show and, and sharing. Thank you so much for being here. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you are ready to take your dinero to the next level, sign up for our free 14-page guide, The Financially Lit Latina, the ultimate blueprint for becoming poderosa with your dinero. This 14-page guide includes our best tips on money mindset, budgeting, debt repayment, career, investing, financial independence, side hustles, and more. And you can get it completely free. So to get your copy of the Financially Lit Latina, just head over to YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start. That's YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start and start transforming your dinero story today. Until next time, stay empowered, stay inspired, and stay poderosa. On the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast and associated entities, all information provided is for general information purposes only and does not constitute accounting, legal, tax, or other professional advice. Listeners should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. We assume no responsibility for information contained on this podcast and associated entities and disclaim all liability with respect to such information, including but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions, or misleading or defamatory statements. Usage of this podcast and associated contents constitutes an explicit understanding and acceptance of the terms of this disclaimer. 